Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. As we've been saying for the last couple of years, with just about every message that you hear, uh, this, this message or this message has the ability to do a couple things for you. Uh, one, it has the ability to set you free. Amen. And two, it has the ability to absolutely and completely offend you. Amen. Right. A wise man once said that the truth that has the most potential to set you free also has the most potential to offend you. Okay. And so just just be ready to receive this morning, not in a negative way, but just be ready to receive this one. You might find yourself getting a little offended. I got a little offended. I'll put the message together. Amen. So (laughs) happens all the time. Okay. Uh, so one of the, the most important things for Christians to, to understand, and we've been talking about this for a while, but one of the most important things for Christians to understand uh, when it comes to doing life, when it comes to reading Scripture, is how to read Scripture appropriately. Do you understand, church? It's how to read Scripture appropriately. It's not even necessarily about how much Scripture you know, but it's more about the Scripture that you know. It's, it's not about how much you know. It's about how you read the scriptures that you know. And we talk about this often here, right? We talk about the importance of reading scripture with a Christocentric lens, or in other words, a Jesus filter, a Jesus lens, reading your scriptures with Jesus as your glasses, right? And so as you're going through scriptures, how does it line up with the character and the nature of Christ? And if it looks like Jesus, then we embrace it. And if it doesn't look like Jesus, then we have to ask what else is going on in this situation. That is how we are to read scripture. That is how uh, the church fathers, the patristics early on, that's how they read scripture. They read it through a Jesus-centered, Jesus filter. And we should be doing the same thing. Because when we don't read it through a Jesus filter, we can make the Bible say a whole lot of things that we want it to say. True story. It's true. Watch. I'm going to show you. I came across this fantastic meme earlier this week, and I was like, man, this is so good. I'm going to steal it, um, and then I'm going to use it for the message. And, and, and so the, the meme comes, it starts out like this. It, it kind of draws a contrast to two different things that would be considered what is called biblical, okay? What is called biblical. By the way, the message title of this message is, but only one is Christ-like. But only one is Christ-like. Okay, you ready? We're going to look at that. So let's go ahead and show that first one. Listen, listen to me. So genocide, come on, listen. Genocide is biblical. Loving your enemy is biblical. But only one is Christ-like. Are y'all, y'all tracking with me? Go to the next one. Slavery is biblical. Chain-breaking is biblical. But only one is what, church? Christ-like. Keep going. Patriarchy is biblical. Counterculture elevation of women is biblical. But only one is Christ-like. Segregation is biblical. Unity is biblical. But only one is what? Come on, y'all getting it, right? Retributive violence. Retributive violence is biblical. Y'all know what retributive violence is? You poke me in my eye, I'm going to poke you in your eye. You cut my hand off, I'm going to cut your hand off. You burn me, I'm going to burn you. 
You knock my tooth out, I'm going to hold you still knock your tooth out. That's retributive violence. That's biblical in the context, in the sense that it's in the Bible. You can make a case. That's biblical. So retributive violence is biblical, but grace-filled restoration is biblical. But only one is what, church? Christ-like. Watch the next thing. This is so good. It says, Christ transforms, not the Bible. Now, for some of us, that one sentence alone would get people in trouble. What? Don't you know it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible? That's how we relate to it. Now, are you saying you don't trust Scripture? You don't have a high view of Scripture? I have a very high view of Scripture. I actually, actually have a higher view of Scripture than most people do, right? But the truth is, it's Christ who transforms you and not the Bible. It was Christ who was transforming the first 400 years of the Christian church before a Bible was ever canonized or canonized and put together. They didn't have Bibles. When Je- it wasn't like when Jesus said, I'm going to depart now, I'm going to float into heaven, and I'm going to drop you down to King James. That wasn't how that worked. Y'all understand? And so what happens is the church begins to do life with one another with the focal point being Christ and his love, and that is what begins to transform people, not the new King James or the King James or NIV or NLT or message translation, whatever translation you work with, not the Bible. It's the Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the lens of Jesus that we read the Bible. That brings about transformation. It says, Christ transforms, not the Bible. Be weary of those who know one but not the other. How many of us can say, man, I've met somebody who knows the Bible, but they don't know Jesus? Right? They know the Bible, but you can tell, like, you don't even know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. You are mean and ugly. Right? You know in order to be a Christian, you got to be ugly. Come on. Y'all know that, right? You got to be ugly. I'm, 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 I'm serious. You got to be ugly. You know what ugly stands for? You got to love yourself. Come on. Y'all don't like that. I thought that was going to go over a lot better. Keep your dad jokes to the other service. That was really good. I'll move on. Christ transforms, not the Bible. Beware of those who know one but not the other. So, again, the title of today's message is, But Only One is Christ-like. Turn over to John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I laugh at that. I underline that in my notes. Turn over to John chapter 8, 1 through 11. Why did I laugh at that? Because not a single person in this room has a paper Bible. I remember back when I was starting in ministry, and my pastor, is a, he, was a, he was a country bumpkin, man. He preached. In, I remember the first time I ever heard him preach, he, he had bib overalls on. Did. My first encounter with him. I love him. I love the man. He's spoken to my life and changed my life dramatically. I remember the very first time I met him, he handed me a business card. Pastor, handed me a business card. He used to go collect crabs out of the York River, handed me a business card. And on the business card, it said here, and it said, Jerry's got the crabs. That was his way he introduced himself to me. Country. Bib overalls. But I remember him saying, some of you are like, that's just a little strange. It's just hang in there. Y'all can laugh in church. Come on. I'll make you come up here and preach. Come on. That's right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Y'all know the deal with this, right? The more y'all talk back to me, the quicker this message goes, right? If I have to drag it out of you, we'll be here all afternoon. 
But this is what he used to say to me. He used to say this. He'd say, he'd say we're going to be in this scripture today. Turn in your Bibles, and you know what you would hear? Rabbit, I know, rabbit. All right, so John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. This is where we're going to be at. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Now, I'm going to give you a little quick note on this that you've probably not ever heard um, when, when you've heard this passage preached on. Now, I'm going to just give you a, This is the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. How many of us have heard this story? How many of us have heard this story in the Bible? The woman caught in the act of adultery. You've heard this story, right? Now, I almost guarantee that probably none of us in the room have ever heard someone explain this prior to reading the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. And this is what it is. So in your Bible, if you had a Bible that was paper, in your Bible, you will notice at this portion from John chapter 8, verse 1 through, uh, through verse 11, there would be a little block or something in the note section or in the center column or something like that. And what it tells you is John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 is not found in many early manuscripts. Did you hear me? Now, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 was not found in many early manuscripts. As a matter of fact, some of the earliest manuscripts that we have don't include this entire story about the woman caught in the act of adultery. And they say, well, then why is it in there? Well, it was added. It was added actually in the early 300s, just so you know. It was added in the early 300s. Well, who added it? No one really knows. But here's what we do know about the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. That it was a tradition story. It was a story that, that the church actually 100% believed happened, and it was a church that was, it was a story that was passed down, much like all the other stories about Christ and what he's done was passed down verbally until the gospel writers began to write down uh, their, their accounts. Actually, before Paul started writing down his scriptures, and then after Paul wrote all his epistles, then the gospel writers wrote their accounts of the gospel. Do, do you, you track it with me? So some where this story was added. Does it mean it's fake? No. Does it mean it didn't happen? Not at all. It was an early tradition. It was an early story that was orally passed around to the churches. At some point, someone thought it important to include it in there, and I agree. It's a fantastic story that highlights the character and nature of Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful, beautiful passage, and there are scholars who will argue and say, well, it shouldn't be in there, and there are scholars who argue and say, it should be in there, and do you know what side I'm on today? I'm on the side with the scholars who argue it should be in there because that's my message. Amen? So that's, that's where we're going to go. So you're like, I don't know that. I don't just, just again, do you want to come and preach? Okay. So even early, even early fathers, even patristic fathers like Ambrose and Augustine, those guys, they, they were even accounted for saying, you know, there are some manuscripts we don't, see this in, and there are other manuscripts that we do see this in, and then later on, they would include it as part of their teaching and as part of their commentaries for Scripture. Everybody on the same page? Isn't that helpful? Isn't that really helpful? That's a really helpful piece of information, because if you're reading your Bible and you come across a portion like that, you're like, wait, why, why is that not there? What do you mean that wasn't in the early manuscripts? So let's go ahead and go to it. I'm spilling water. Baptizing my podium. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And it said, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. It says, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. 
And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, y'all know we just got out of a series called The Pharisee and Me. That's online on the podcast. I encourage you to go back and check it out. But he says, the teacher of the religious laws and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught. Y'all say caught. Caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front. Y'all say front. In front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses. The law of Moses says that we are to stone her. What do you say? In verse 6, it says, and they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and he played in the dust. And it says in verse 9, it says, and when the accusers, y'all say accusers. All this is coming, y'all listen, it's going to be important. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? She said, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. This is where we're at today. We're going to spend the next few moments unpacking this passage of Scripture verse by verse. Really important. So take notes. You know how you take notes here in the 21st century? Same way you look at your Bible. With your phone, you just take pictures of slides. And then you post them on Instagram and Facebook later. Verses 1 through 3. <laughs> go to verse 1 through 3. Go, go to the next verse, too. It says, um, sat down, go to the 3. That's where I want to go. I'm going to go to 3. Okay. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious laws and the Pharisees brought the woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Do you notice that the Pharisees interrupted church to call out a woman to ruin her life and to further their agenda? Are you hearing me, church? To further their agenda. You know, church is not a place for agendas. Hear me. Church is not a place for agendas. I want to make that ever so clear. It's not a place for agendas. It's a place of worship. And at no point should we use this place, should we use this place as a means of destruction for anyone's life. Do you hear me? Never should we be doing that. Never should we bring anybody in for the purpose of destroying their lives. This means advocating for rock throwing of hate speech. There is no rock throwing of hate speech in this church. Won't be. We're not throwing rocks of uh, uh, political beliefs in this church. We're not going to do it. It's not at a home here. We're not throwing rocks of racism. We're not throwing rocks of sexism. We're not throwing rocks of guilt and shame. The church should be a place of refuge, a place of grace and truth, and the place where the presence of God is encountered. Church should be a place where the love of God is so manifested that those who do not know him come in and experience it in such a way that they look at you and go, you're a follower of Jesus. 
Not because you can quote John 3.16 and John 3.17 or Romans 3 or Romans 6, but because you simply looked at somebody when they came in and said, how are you doing today? And when they respond to you, I'm blessed, you go, that's awesome. And when they respond to you like my whole week has sucked, you go, can I pray for you? Can I talk to you about it? That is what church is supposed to be, a place of life, a place that's life-giving, not a place of destruction. Come on, y'all. The church has a real shady history. It does. If, see, here's the crazy thing. The majority of people who sit in seats, I was getting ready to say pews, who sit in seats, who sits, I'm churchy now, y'all. He's got people who sit in the pews, right? The people who sit in church, many of us have never even studied church history. And you would be shocked to know that some of the biggest persecutors of the church is the church. Did you know that? I mean, there were times where people were having such debates over doctrinal issues like whether or not God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit are Holy Trinity or, or if Jesus had three views, uh, he had a spirit, soul, and a body. And, and there are, so instead of looking at us and going, huh, that's an interesting way of looking at it, they were like, let's debate to the death. Let's debate to the death. We're going to debate. And whoever wins, wins, and whoever does not win, dies. Forget that you have a church and all sorts of people who follow you. You don't agree with my doctrine. We're going we're gonna to go. We're going to kill you. Galileo. Galileo, Galileo. Galileo Figaro. Not that one. But Galileo. Do you know when the Galileo that said the sun goes around the, the earth? Wasn't that right? Oh, no, no, he said the opposite. He, listened. he said the opposite. He said that the earth goes around the sun. And for many years, Scripture and, and people in the Scripture believed that the earth was the center of everything, the universe and everything around around it. But they also believed the earth was flat. And if you go to the end of the earth, you fall off. And Galileo said, no, 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 no. See, the way this works is I don't think the, I don't think the sun goes around the earth. I think the earth goes around the sun. And do you know what the church did? They said... Kill him. I wish I was kidding, but they killed him. Catholic Church killed him. That, that, I'm not slamming the Catholic Church. That was the only church around that time. But, but you, you understand, like, I, that's just it. But they, they said, kill him. And do you know what they did in 1993? They said, hey, my bad. We think Galileo was right. 1993, the church, 1993, our bad. And we can laugh at that now, right? But, but when you think about we have a past, y'all, amen? We have a past. We have a past of religious people standing in pulpits everywhere telling everybody else what's wrong with them and what they need to do and this and that instead of being a beacon of love and hope and faith and grace. That's what we have. And the Pharisees, they go find this woman. They drag this woman into the middle of church. Y'all listen, into the middle of church. They, verse 4 through 6, they caught, y'all say caught. They caught the woman in the act of adultery. Do you know what it means when they said they caught her in the act? She was in the middle of doing the thing. Y'all get it, she caught her. Maybe she tried to get up and run. They grabbed her. They caught her. 
and they drug her to church. Do you think they said, first put your clothes on? No, I think they were too busy telling the guy, go ahead and get on out of here. Go ahead, get on out of here. We'll take care of her. And they grab this woman caught in the act of adultery, and they bring her down. And it would be like someone bringing somebody in the back door and putting them right here in front of you, in front of me. Caught in the act of adultery, fully exposed in the act of adultery, hiding her face in the ground because she's so ashamed and guilt-ridden and scared. Look, in verse 4, I want you all to see this in verse 4. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Keep going, watch, watch. It says, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Leave it right there. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? The law of what church? Moses says to stone her. What do you say? You know, we did the series of Pharisee and me, and we talked about the difference between the law of God and the law of Moses. There's a difference. Did you know that? There's a difference between the law of God and the law of Moses. The law of God's the top ten commandments, the ten commandments, right? The top four shows you how you honor God. The bottom six shows you how you love everybody else. The law of Moses is everything that came after that. And everything that came after that is pretty dark. Well, a lot of it is really dark. Very dark. And they say the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, when we talk about stoning, we're not talking about they passed her a bong. Amen? They didn't, that's not what they were talking about. Different story. Probably would not have made it into the Bible. But do you hear me? They're not talking about getting her high. They're talking about ending her life. And do you know, man, I researched this, and I'm going to tell you, it's a dark thing to research stoning someone. Because there are countries who still advocate and do it today. Do it today. There are some where they would take a rock and they would throw you against a rock, right? And they would take a bigger rock and throw it onto your back so your stomach's over the rock and they throw it onto your back. There's another one where they would take you and bend you over a rock and throw it onto your chest. Another one they dig you a hole and sit you in a hole up to your chest and they would take in rocks and they throw. Y'all, y'all tracking with me? That's some pretty dark stuff. That's a pretty dark thing. Stoning is biblical. But is it Christ-like? I'm going to stretch you. I told you I'm going to stretch you today. Big rocks. I have a 1,000 bricks in my backyard right now because the people we bought our house from like to make planters. I'm all for planters. Put a lot of planters in your yard, but why, do you, why make them out of bricks? Like I'm talking like mortar and like bricks. Like they were building many houses back there. And so we've been letting my son, who's 10 years old, go out with a sledgehammer and a chisel and knock them down. He's knocked them all. There's big, there's big piles of bricks in my backyard. And I can't even imagine, it can't even register my mind. Hear me, it can't register my mind. Like, my kids upset me sometimes. My kids upset me sometimes. Anybody else's kid upset you at all? Just a little bit? Just a little bit. Nah. Listen, they upset you. But I can't imagine for the life of me, my son upsetting me and then me looking at Moses and saying, all right, Mike. I mean, looking at Micah and saying, all right, Micah, the law of Moses says we need to handle this the right way. To the backyard we go. And we go into the backyard and say, let's call everybody else on the block over. Call all of our friends over. 
you must die. And pick up a big brick that he just chiseled and kill him. Are we registering, like, how dark this moment is? Right? In church. It happened in their church, in the temple. In church. The law of Moses says that we are to stone her. Let me tell you. They were trying to trap him. They were trying to get him on that, right? Because his entire ministry looked so counterculture to the Pharisees and the way they did life and the way they did religion. It just looked different. I mean, you were touching unclean people and watching them get healed. You're sitting and hanging out and eating with with sinners. You're drinking with sinners. Welcher's grape juice. You're drinking with sinners. And, yeah, it was grape juice, right? And, yeah, yeah. you're doing all these things. It's so counterculture the way we do life. And so what they're trying to do is the law of Moses says, see, if you're a good Jew, you'll know what the law of Moses says. And you'll know in this moment right here, when we catch somebody in the act of adultery, what's to happen to that person? So tell us if you're such a good teacher of the law of Moses, tell us what needs to happen. And right there, they're looking to trap him because if he turns around and says she's to be stoned to death, well, see, he's not really as good as you think he is. See, he's really a heretic, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't say that. They're trying to trap him. So they can use that soundbite on social media. It's pharisaical, right? It's religious. It's legalistic. What people do with Scripture, they, they cherry-pick verses. They cherry-pick verses and certain portions of verses to fit what they believe. Some of y'all believe, well, you shouldn't cherry-pick the Bible. Oh, yes, you should. You 100% should cherry pick the Bible. 100%. I don't know if I I, I believe what you're saying right there. You absolutely should cherry pick the Bible. You should look through the Bible and you should pick out the, the scriptures that highlight and advocate the nature and character of Jesus Christ the way that Jesus Christ did it. They pulled a scripture out and said it's scriptural that she be stoned to death. What do you say? And Jesus says, well, let him who has not sinned cast the first stone. Here's a really easy way to look at this. When you're picking your scriptures out, as you're going through. See, everything in the Bible, hear me, hear me, hear me. Everything in the Bible was not written to you. Listen to me. Everything in the Bible was not written to you Everything in the Bible was written for you, but it wasn't written to you. Do you understand? And so you get the job of taking your Jesus lens, your glasses, and putting them on and reading through them and picking out those cherry scriptures that err on the side of life, not on the side of death. It's a stretch for some of us, but I'm telling you it's it's so true because this is this is what they did. They even cherry-picked the scripture on my watch. And then they even turned around and left part of it off. They left part of it off. Watch. In Deuteronomy 22, verse 22. Go there. If a, what church? Say it louder. If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must what? 
die. And in, and in this way, you will purge Israel of evil. Listen, we did a series called Rethink last year that went through a bunch of this stuff to understand this. We're going to be going into a series during the summer, the whole summer. We're going to be doing a series called Got Questions, where we're literally, watch, a lot of people won't do this. You're going to have a chance to ask questions, right? You can, we'll be able to go to the website and submit them anonymously. So you can ask the most wildest questions that you want to ask. You can ask them. And we're going to spend the summer going through them and answering questions that you probably always had, but no one ever talks about. Sound good? If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In this, in this way, you will purge Israel of such evil. They cherry-picked it, too. They cherry-picked the Scripture, and they left part of it out. We caught this woman in the act of adultery. Jesus could have very easily have said, where's the man? Where's the man at? Last time I checked, adultery requires two. Unless you're married to yourself, which I heard is a thing. It says the man and the woman must die. Is it Christ-like? Church, is that Christ-like? No. Do you think Jesus advocates the following of Moses' law? Do you think he advocated stoning people to death? Do you think he advocated isolating people out who were sick, keeping them outside the city, and making them shout 100 yards off, I'm unclean, to isolate themselves even more socially? Do you think that Jesus was on the side of that? No, last time I checked, they had lepers come up to him and said, if you're willing, you make us whole. And he said, I am willing. And he touched them, and they were healed. Are you saying, well, are you saying you don't believe in the Old Testament? No, I absolutely believe in the Old Testament. Absolutely. But I also know how to read the Bible with a Jesus-centered lens. If you take everything equally from Genesis to Revelation, and you give them all the same weight, you're going to end up with a very, very schizophrenic image of God. Do you understand? Like super, super, yeah, Bible, a super schizophrenic version of, of God, that, a God that you'll never know for sure if he's for you or against you. You'll never know for sure if he struck them down like that. He's going to strike me down like that too. You'll never really, really know. I got a few more minutes. Y'all hanging with? Y'all still with me? All right. No one's gotten up and walked out yet, so we're good. So, yes, it's scripture, but it's not Christ-like. This is retributive punishment, right? Not grace-filled restoration. Again, only one is Christ-like. Go over to Verse 7, it says, and they demanded an answer. He drew in the dirt, right? And then it says, let him who has not sinned cast the first stone. Let him who has not sinned cast the first stone. Do you know what he was making very clear in that moment? He said to all the religious people who were teaching, who've been teaching the church, their church at that point, he made it very clear, you are not the ones to judge. Do you hear me? You are not the ones 
to condemn. That is not your place. As a matter of fact, the only person who is able to condemn a sinful person is a perfect person, which of you are none. None. So the person who gets to throw the first brick at this woman that you guys embarrassed and harassed and brought out here in the middle of church today is the person who has not sinned. And they says, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped the bricks and they walked out. Oldest to the youngest. Come on, church. It said, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped the rocks and they walked out. It didn't take long for people who've lived a little bit of life to realize, that's not me. I'm definitely not uh, sinless. Until they got to the youngest one who was like, I am good. Oh, wait, that was that thing last night. <laughs> Never mind. Romans 2. Go to Romans 2 real quick. I love how Paul unpacked this. You go into Romans chapter 1. A lot of times people read Romans wrong too. They completely read Romans wrong. If you want a really good way of reading Romans, read it backwards. Start from the end and go forward. True story. But they get this, they get this, this view of Rome, Romans 1. And Paul goes in and he talks about the, the, the failure of humanity to, to live and do and be who God's called them to be. And, and it goes through and they give and they worship idols and they engage in temp, temple prostitution and, and, and pedophilia and all sorts of things that they engage in. And, and, then he, and then he gets to the end of the chapter and says, this is the world right here. Right? This is the world. And he gets to chapter 2, verse 1. And he goes and says to them, listen, oh, this is so powerful. You may think you can condemn such people. Such people as who? Go back and read Romans 1 when you get some time. He said, you think that you can condemn such people. You think that you can render them unfit for use, unworthy. You think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the very same things. Paul said, listen up, church. Some of y'all wearing your righteous badge a little too bright. You are, you got that thing all polished up. I'm not like them. And Paul says, the moment you say, I'm not like them, you admit, I am them. Go to the next verse. He said, and then he flips it on. He says, and we know, right? Guys, isn't this what you believe? This is what he does. He said, and we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. The way he's saying this is a rhetorical statement. It's, it's literally, it's almost like condescending. He's like, he's like, oh, you want to point out their flaws and condemn them? Well, we know if that's the way it is that God's going to punish those, right? And, and we know that if God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. And if that's the case, watch, keep going. And if that's the case, since, since then you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you'll avoid God's judgment? You want to rail, God's going to get you. God's going to get you. God's going to get you. And don't you know at the same time, if that's the way it's going to work, God's going to get you. Do, do you understand? Why do you think you can avoid that judgment? Who, who are you to think that you can avoid that judgment? You do the same 
things. And then he breaks there. He says, no, you got it all wrong. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it's his kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? I love the King James translation that says, and don't you know it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? Repentance, not begging and, and pleading for God to forgive you. Repentance in that you changed your mind about the way you think about you and the way you think about God and the way you think God thinks about you. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? Well, some people would say, well, well, what about truth? I get people all the time, they say, well, you know, you got to preach grace and you got to preach truth. I completely agree with that. But we should always qualify what you think truth is. Because truth on your end a lot of times says, God loves you, but God loves you if. God loves you when. That's your idea of, we got to be truth. Yeah, got to preach truth. No, they do go hand in hand. And, and grace and truth came by who, church? Jesus. It said the law came by Moses. Stone him. Put him to death. But grace and truth came by Jesus. And so some might say, well, what about truth? I mean, are we supposed to speak truth to people who are living in sin? And can't we confront somebody who is living a destructive life? Isn't, it, isn't that the Christ-like thing to do? I mean, even Jesus called the Pharisees and said they were a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs, right? Didn't Jesus flip tables? Where's the truth? So let me just try to answer these questions for you real quick. Are we supposed to speak truth to people who are living in sin? Absolutely. But listen, probably not the truth that you've been taught. Not the truth that you were taught. That is, you're wrong, I'm right, be like me. Right? Not that truth. Listen, the truth that we are to speak is Jesus himself. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the what, church? Truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The truth that we speak is Jesus. And so a very easy way to determine whether your truth is truth is, does it point to the side of life or does it point to the side of death? If it points to the side of death, it's not truth, it's a law. If it points to the side of life, it's truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the life. Jesus said, I've come to give you what? Life and life and what? Abundance. Right? So... There's that. And, and then maybe the other question is, is, well, can we confront someone who's living a destructive life? That's the Christ-like thing to do, right? Someone who's living a destructive life. And my, my answer to your question is, absolutely you should confront somebody who's living a destructive life. But confronting like Jesus looks a lot different than confronting like a Pharisee. So I was pastoring at this church a couple years ago. And there was this guy who was named John. I'll change his name so no one knows who he is. His name is John. And 
You don't know his last name. But his name was John. And I remember John coming up to me one day after church, and he was furious. Furious. He said, I need to talk to you. I need to meet with you. And I said, all right, you can meet with me. And so after church, it was after church, we ended up going to the Starbucks over there off of 17 and Fort Eustis Boulevard. When I think it was gone now, but it was there. And we go sit down and talk, and I said, John, what's bothering you, man? And he's like, I just think there's just too, things are too lax. Things are too lax at this church. And I said, well, what do you mean? John's not old, by the way. I'm making him sound like he was an old guy, but he wasn't. He was a young guy, or younger, you know. 40, I'm 40 now. Young, that's young. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Amen. And so John says, I just can't. This church is getting too crazy. It's getting too wild. I said, what do you mean, John? He said, someone came in the other day with booty shorts on. Someone should talk to her about wearing booty shorts. The church is disrespectful to God and is disrespectful to the people of God. I said, John, do you want to bring her in front of everybody and stone her? What do you want to do? I said, really, dude, she literally, my wife and I literally led her to the Lord just a couple weeks beforehand. Never been in church, in the military, stationed here, didn't know nobody. And we ended up, she came to an Easter service by somebody else. They invited her to the church, or it, I think it was Easter, wasn't it? Came to church and started giving her life to Christ. She had style. And so, <laughs> but my point is, is, is he was upset about that. And then you know, the next part he said, he said, someone, someone brought their dog to church. He said, I was sitting there watching, trying to worship, and this little head poked outside the purse of that lady. And I just, I just got to the point where I just, I couldn't focus anymore. It just distracted me from worshiping God. I wish I was joking. I'm not. And then he said to me, I said, John, I said, dude, it's not hurting nobody. I mean, they got them locked up in a bag. I mean. And then he said to me, the last thing, he said, you know what? I said, what? He said, I also have an issue with one of your band members. I said, do tell me about my band members. And he said, your drummer. Every time he gets done playing worship, he walks straight out of the sanctuary, goes out into the parking lot beside his car, and he smokes a cigarette. And I said, okay, he's on stage. He should be an example. Like, I think he was a pretty good example. He worships. You see him worshiping, like, he gets into worship, but he's smoking. John, maybe this is not the church for you. That's what I told him. And he left. I did. I said, maybe this is the church for you. Because I don't think Jesus was called a sinner for hanging out with saints. And I don't think he was called an alcoholic because he hung out with people who didn't drink. And I don't think he was called a glutton because he was keto. He left. But here's my point. I asked him when we were talking about that, I said, have you ever talked to him? No. I said, do you even know his name? No. I said, but you're going to sit here and tell me that he shouldn't be smoking in the parking lot after he just, after he got to the church at 8 o'clock in the morning, practiced for an hour, stayed for worship, and then stays to help wrap up this. You're going to tell me that he should stop smoking. You don't even know his name. 
You see, it's okay to correct someone's destructive patterns in their life, to, to speak into someone who's living a destructive life. Absolutely, 100%, but only if you're willing to invest in them. Do you hear me? Only if you're willing to invest, only if you're willing to get to know their name and know a little bit about their story and where they came from and what their life is like and how they came to Jesus or maybe how they haven't come to Jesus and why they're here. You don't get a right to speak into someone else's life you're not willing to do life with. Come on. Don't come to me about somebody else on my band if you don't know their name. It requires investment. It requires investment. Verse 9. Look what, 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 verse 9. Verse 9. If I had a paper Bible. Oh, I do. <laughs> Look, I do. Okay. That was horrible. If I had a paper Bible right in front of me. Verse 9, it says, when the accusers heard this, y'all say accusers. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until the young, uh, until only Jesus was left, right? In the middle of the crowd with the woman. I want to make sure I get this, right? So I'm going to come to the accuser part in a second. So Jesus stays with her. Stays with her. Do you know that Jesus wasn't standing on a stage and she was down there? Y'all hear me? That wasn't the case. It said Jesus stayed with her until it was Jesus left in the middle with her. Right there. He stayed with her. He stayed with her until the threat was gone. It's one thing, come on, listen to me, I hope you hear this. It's one thing to tell someone they need to kick an addiction. It's a Christ-like thing to stay with them until they've detoxed. Okay, it's one thing to tell someone they should take care of their body and eat healthier. It's a Christ-like thing to help them figure out a meal plan and help buy them groceries. It's a one thing to tell someone they need this, a better spending habit. It's a Christ-like thing to teach them how to budget their money. You follow me? It's one thing to tell someone that pornography can ruin their life and, their, and, and it causes them to objectify men and women. But it's a Christ-like thing to walk alongside of them in grace-filled accountability. Do you hear me? Verse 10, he said, where are your accusers? Do you know that that word accusers right there is the same word often used to refer to the devil? Where are your Satans? Where are your Satans at? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Ain't one of them render you unfit for use? And she said, no. And he said this, freeing. Listen to me. No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus said, neither do I. Now go and send them more. Leave it right there. Neither do I condemn you. Can I tell you why he didn't condemn them? If you've been coming to Journey Church for any length of time, you, you've heard this. You know why he didn't condemn her? Because love does not condemn. Love is patient and kind and not envious. Love rejoices when truth wins out and not in the midst of injustice. 
Love is not self-seeking. It's not boastful. It keeps no record of being wrong. It always believes and always hopes and never fails. The reason he was able to say, neither do I condemn you, is because God does not condemn you. Do you hear me? That's not who he is. But what about those moments in the Old Testament when it sure did look like he was condemning? Are you reading it with a Jesus lens? Go back to the podcast and listen to the Rethink series. Unpacked all that. Does it look like Jesus? If it does, embrace it. If it doesn't, then ask yourself, there must be something going on here. Neither do I condemn you that go and sin no more. And some people might have an issue with this and say, well, man, she, she looks like she got off easy. She looks like she got off without being punished. Do you really think that? Do you really think that she got off easy, that she got off not being punished? Do you really think that? Do you not think that it was punishment to get drug in front of everybody with your nakedness? Y'all leave me alone. I struggle to say that word. Naked. Do, see? Do you think that there was, stay focused. Do you think there was, there wasn't any punishment in that? To be caught and be exposed? To be embarrassed? To have to sit before the Savior of the world in your, yeah, your birthday suit. Do you think that that's not punishment? Do you not think that there was some kind of psychological mental breakdown happening there? Of course there is. So to say that she didn't get punished is, is, is a falsehood. Because listen to me, sin always punishes. Not God. Sin. Listen. Romans 6.23, again, Anger, metaphor, wrath, rethink series. Go back and you'll, you'll, you'll hear it. But if you think that she wasn't punished, you're, you're sadly mistaken. It was judgment for sure, but judgment of sin, not from her Savior. Look what Romans 6.23 says. Some of us, we've been raised in church our, our whole life. We've said this verse. We've quoted this verse. We've memorized it as part of the Romans road to salvation. Let's go on a journey. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is what, church? Come on, for the wages of sin is what? For the reward. Your reward for sinning is death. By God? No. By your sin. If I spend all my afternoons and nighttimes eating pints of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, Gallons of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Let me look at nobody. At least they think you were talking to me. I was not. If you overeat consistently with your life, you're a glutton. You're getting into gluttony. And if you get into gluttony, your body is going to feel the adverse side effects of that. And what's going to happen is you probably will become insulin resistant. And with insulin resistance, you're going to find type 2 diabetes. And with type 2 diabetes, you're going to end up getting your leg cut off and die within five years. Some of you are like, that's morbid, but that's a true statement. Go and look at the research. You get your leg cut off or any body part amputated with type 2 diabetes, you're dead usually within five years. 
Unless you get prayer. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. I know some of you are like, it got a little dark. No, there's prayer. There's healing. I'm just making the point. <laughs> there's grace. There's truth in there. Come on. Let's get back to this. But, but here's my point. <laughs> here's my point. Who did that? Are you seeing the wages of sin in your life? Absolutely. Is it God punishing you and giving you type 2 diabetes and cutting your limbs off? No. If you go out and you commit adultery and your marriage falls apart and your husband leaves you and takes the kids, is, is, that, is that God punishing you or is that the wages of sin is the death of your marriage? Do, do you understand? Sin carries with it its own consequences. It carries with it its own wrath. And then you get to that part. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And we know eternal life means an intimate knowledge of God through Christ Jesus. So for anybody who thinks that she got off of this without any kind of punishment, you didn't read it clearly. Jesus didn't let her off the hook. He embraced her in her brokenness. And then he turned around and said this last part. Go back to that last verse. And this is where we'll wrap up. Y'all still with me? It's good. Y'all ain't know I've been preaching for two hours. It's been good. I'm, I'm actually wrapping up. John chapter 8, verse 11. Here it says, no, Lord, she said, and he said, neither do I. Now what did he say? Go and what? Sin no more. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Why? See, he didn't just wink at her and say, it's all good. Right? He literally looked at her and said, I'm not condemning you, but I am giving you a little bit of parting advice. Don't keep living like this because I might not be around physically the next time it happens. Do you see? I'm going to close with this. I'm really closing. Bow your heads. <laughs> That's how you know I'm really closing. Bow your heads. I don't went too long, so we won't wrap up worship. We'll just pray. Um, I want to speak to two, pe- two types of people in this room. Maybe you find yourself in one of two places. Maybe you are the legalist. You're the Pharisee. I just want to encourage you this morning. Listen to me. You are forgiven. And maybe you're the one who's been exposed. And you are forgiven. I want you to do a heart check this morning as we close, right? To the legalist. If you've been the one accusing others and stoning them with your words or stoning them in your hearts, let me just challenge you to repent. That is to change your mind. For there is no shortage of things that you could have been stoned for. And to the one whose sins have been exposed, the one who is carrying guilt and shame, let me just encourage you, repent, change your minds. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were damaged goods? Not Christ. Leave the sin that you're holding on to 
and invite somebody to walk alongside of you. Retributive violence is, is biblical, and grace-filled restoration is biblical, but only one is Christ-like. Christ transforms, not the Bible. And beware of those who know one, but not the other. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your grace, your goodness, and your mercy this morning. I thank you for enlightening and bringing light to Scripture this morning, Father, for allowing us to laugh, to think, to ponder, God, to be challenged, to be stretched, and even to be offended this morning. Father, I thank you that you have good things for us, God, that your love abounds for us, Father. And I thank you for your grace, your forgiveness. And I pray as we go throughout our day, for those of us who are in-house, those who watched online, I pray as we go throughout our day and this week to come that these words would reverb in our hearts, God, that we would do heart checks and ask ourselves, which side are we on? And then boldly declare that we've been forgiven. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen and amen, amen. All right, guys, thank you.